Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about guys who decide to stand up to their bosses. A trio of rogues who are sadistic, incompetent, and sexually inappropriate, respectively. Lacking the confidence or scruples to fight the power through legitimate means, they enlist a hitman to help them bump their superiors off. These clowns bungle their way through a string of ineptly executed murderous schemes in a farce that is in no way a suitable model for industrial action or any form of organised resistance. Is what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of the 2011 film Horrible Bosses, starring a bunch of actors who should have known better and Jason Sudeikis. Instead, it's a podcast in which we talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me, my co-star in an upcoming film that I will be making called Lovely and Respectful Colleagues, Danny Moran. Hello. Hello. It's a little bit different this week. We didn't see any films, but instead we interviewed two key campaigners in the ongoing living wage campaign by the staff of the Picture Hell Cinema chain. Don't worry, though, because that interview is so passionate, so informative, so exciting that it puts anything troubling the multiplexes to shame. Hashtag cinema is dead. Hashtag podcast on the new cinema. Hashtag <laughs> basically Kubrick. However, we do discuss the news that Rebel Wilson is a rebel with a cause. That cause being being defamed by an evil tabloid. And we report on what director Alex Kurtzman's response was when somebody told him that everybody hated his new film. It is not a good response. All of which should leave me just enough time to perform my latest impression. Christopher Walken getting up in the middle of the night and stepping barefoot on an upturned plug. Go for it, let's hear it. Ow! Ow! Some specifics. (laughs) Who put the plug there? (laughs) Ow, the plug is very sharp on my foot. Okay, we're delighted to be joined by uh, Will and Mariam from the Pitch House Living Wage campaign. Hello. 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 So would one of you like to give a sort of a quick uh, introduction to the campaign and how it started and that that kind of thing? Um, Yeah, so the first guys to start were at the Ritzy um, and that happened a few years ago and they were the first to actually sort of get a living wage from Pitcher House. Um, They received recognition of the chosen union, which was BEC2. And they achieved the living wage, but they achieved it years ago and they only achieved that figure. So it hasn't actually risen and the living wage obviously has risen. 
Um, so they kind of resurrected the campaign kind of two years ago. Um, and then the other cinemas were kind of slower to catch on. The first people to um, join up to Beck 2 with the numbers that were like necessary um, were Hackney. And then it was us at Picturehouse Central. And then it's kind of been snowballing from there. So now there's Crouch End, East Dulwich, Brighton, um, yeah, and then all the others who joined up before. So it's kind of, it's getting bigger. So it's continuing to grow now. Yeah, and sort of to, yeah, encompass more and more pitch houses. Um, so that's, yeah, it's all of the London picture houses. So what, like, what sparked it off um, initially, because I was talking to uh, Danny a bit before you guys arrived, mm. we were discussing how... Um, the amount of striking that goes on publicly is not particularly great and that people basically associate strikes these days with kind of tube workers yeah. and then more recently uh, the junior doctors strike was a very prominent one but in uh, like the cinema industry or in other kinds of like service oriented industries it seems to be relatively rare now for people to be um, organizing and, and striking so do you know how it exact how it got going initially um I would say that Ritzy had a few members who were particularly active already. And so I guess in a way, Ritzy was just lucky to have those those individuals who were willing to um, organise, who had had experience before organising and um, campaigning for living wage. And so um, they managed to, they were just very well organised and they managed to inspire all the rest of us as well. Cool. So, so is there something that particular about... Uh, picture house I mean because there was a Curzon one as well right which yeah, was but successful they, yeah sort of Curzon sort of threatened um, they started joining up to Beck 2 and I think Curzon kind of recognised that it would be bad for their image if they if they let it happen and they let it get to the stage of striking yeah um, so they kind of sensibly gave in but it which, is sorry yeah go on well I was going to say like, is there anything about the setup of these cinemas I mean because they're both like more um you know, uh, art house or uh, mm. sort of like higher range type uh, cinemas and others. Uh, and is there something about the setup of the way that uh, people work there that makes it a bit easier for people to organise? Because you know, it obviously hasn't caught on in you know Odeon or or in like the broader cine world. Obviously, cine world owns Picture House, but yeah. it's not like the other cine worlds are not. Um, I think the workers at those cinemas are definitely treated worse. I think possibly the positions at those cinemas feel even more precarious. I think the turnover of staff is like far greater. Yeah. Often at Picture House, you do have people staying for sort of maybe like two years, three years. So you can kind of build a relationship up with other staff and kind of organize. Whereas at these other cinemas where the turnover of staff is so high and the feeling of your position is so precarious, I think there's almost, um, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say a, a, like a lack of self-respect, but maybe a lack of entitlement to your job and your position and actually to fight for a better position. Um, which I think is rare among like most occupations now anyway, which you've sort of seen with like, I don't know, the death of unions. Um, so I don't know, I guess it's kind of right place, right time and that there's the people and there's the environment where they're actually surrounded by like-minded individuals who've got the time to organise and set something up together, which I feel is yeah, probably rare and especially in cinema work, which is often so precarious and yeah. such a high turnover. And where there is yeah. quite a lot of time where you're not doing much yeah, the actual, that's true. In the actual job, where in between films going in and out, there's not much. Yeah. To <laughs> maybe so <there's> just insidious <laughs> plotting. So, so, yeah. so you're, you're hosting impromptu union meetings. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, tell us a bit about Beck 2, uh, because, I mean, 
kind of what, what you were saying <clears> that um, uh, that it's not something you see very much in in other industries. I think, mm. especially there's a you know obviously a great proliferation of insecure work and zeroized contracts and so on and so forth to make it very very difficult to unionize. Um, oh, I should mention the Deliveroo strike as well. This is that's yeah. another recent like prominent one. Uh, but um, how does how has sort of back to helped you guys uh, sort of organize and and go on strike? Uh, the the staff at back to are very understanding. We have a lot of meetings with them, and they're they're very willing to listen to us. And um, it, most of the the meetings are actually led by the picture house staff, and they're just listening to us. So that's why they're our chosen union. I mean, because we we actually do have a union that was set up by Picture House itself, which is what they're arguing we should be. They should they should be the ones representing us. But obviously, we have found a better union. It's, it feels like it kind of defeats the purpose. Of <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's run yeah. by the company. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of yeah, it's a it's, it's a puppet union that was set up by Picture House to kind of deflect from back to, and I feel like Picture House have kind of proliferated this. Um, I don't know, this view that Beck 2 are kind of twisting our arms into kind of political actions that we don't want to make. But I definitely want to say that, if anything, they've just kind of formalised what we've wanted to do. And they've always been kind of um, more a microphone for what, what we've wanted to do rather than kind of pushing us into any kind of action that that, that we haven't wanted to do. Because there's kind of been, at the moment, I think especially um, people within Picture House have started to suggest that we've kind of become the pawns of Beck 2 and whatever points they want to make, and I, I really don't think that's the case. Yeah, well, that's the sort of classic right-wing caricature of unions, right? That yeah. it's mm. these kind of driven, like, fanatics at the top who bully yeah. everyone into, like, agreeing to go on yeah. strike. Uh, but that, that's not been your experience at all. Like, they're just sort of no. facilitating. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. So um, a thing that puts people off striking is the loss of wages, but that isn't the case. It, no, so if you're part of a union, you pay a monthly subscription to the union. For us, it's £5 a month for the first year. And then uh, when you go on strike, they will cover your wages. So if you were to, to work a shift, if you were supposed to be working a shift on the day where there's a strike, they would pay your wages for that day so that you don't actually lose anything on the day that you're striking. And um, they can also offer support legal support and it's all paid for so it's all included in your subscription how is the best way to support your campaign is it a case of should i never go to a pitch house cinema again burn my membership which i don't have but if i had one <laughs> yeah uh, or you know what's the best way to support your cause um i think the best way is probably just to spread awareness um one of the, like the big things is sort of destroying picture houses um brand image which I think most people aren't really aware that they're owned by Cineworld, um, that they have got this huge kind of like capital clout. Um, so I think one of the things is kind of to like dirty up their brand image a bit, because um, at the moment that's probably like their most successful selling point is that they can like put themselves on this pedestal. Um, so I guess, yeah, it's kind of like if you can sort of spread the message that that that's just a veneer, yeah. Yeah, there was a picture house ad for a while ago that they were showing in front of like every movie, which was like uh, all of these young uh, community people getting together, and they're all sort of building a, uh, they're like renovating a cinema or putting on some yeah, yeah, come yeah. to screening, and it's like the community's coming together. Everyone's just a regular, friendly person with this little company, you mm -hmm. know, like come and join in this lovely yeah. dusty, folksy atmosphere. 
Um, and uh, yeah, obviously they're just an enormous multinational corporation. Yeah. Probably. I mean, you sort of like uh, attempting to crush your strikers. It doesn't exactly yeah. uh, play well with that image. Would you? Do you guys? Would you have any advice for people in other um, like workplaces who aren't used to this type of organising? How you get into it? Because I mean, if you're if you're in a, a position of you know you're not you don't belong to you know, like a lot of people don't belong to unions now, depending on what kind of industry you're in, mm. uh, and you might not be. Like the basically the entire kind of apparatus of uh, getting involved in that kind of organisation might be socially foreign to you. Uh, so, do you have any sort of advice as to how to like what you should do in that position or how to begin that process? I mean, <laughs> but I mean, I mean that that is pretty much a union for everything. And I was looking recently. Um, my friend's an architect, and she was kind of lamenting the lack of representation for architects because they work very long hours. They kind of like at entry level, you're getting abused to an extent. Um, and we looked up and there are unions you can join um, and be represented as an architect. It's just that very few people are. And that's the case for so many industries is that people aren't actually aware that there is representation available for them. So I'd say for anyone kind of thinking about how they can organise and actually have their say, the first thing is to look into what what sort of union you can choose to represent you because inevitably there will be one. Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of people don't even know what unions are and that there there can be a there can be a, a larger group of people who will represent you and that you you yeah. don't have to stand up to your employer by yourself and I mean obviously in workplaces a lot of people do come together the staff come together they make friends and they they talk about the problems at work but they don't know that there is actually a way of dealing with those problems and that that is joining a union so I think just yeah informing themselves would be the first thing to do and just knowing what their rights are because it sounds scary but it's everyone's right and it's legal and it's I mean standing outside and and protesting is something that you can do it's not only certain people who can do it. everyone can do it in any yeah. profession yeah and it should it should be so much more commonplace because um, mm. so many people are working in sort of adverse conditions and being treated so badly that there needs to be some sort of response rather than, I guess, just like gossiping and sort of complaining in the staff room, you can change that into something that actually changes your position, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe, I mean, it might be helped by the fact that I think protesting in general seems to be sort of becoming increasingly mainstream. Um, And it's one of those things, like on a couple of the large, uh, really big protests, like the Women's March and uh, people who are marching in support of the junior doctors um, and the NHS and that kind of thing, um, a lot of people were sharing on social media kind of like ironic signs or like, you know, I'm so mad I want to eat a biscuit type of like hilarious, you know, English kind of things. And one way to view that is a kind of um, people sort of stretching, uh, protesting muscles they've never used, whatever. It's like people who aren't, you know, the kind of furious, um, you know, people who, who are in that kind of mindset who are just like yeah. feeling slightly uncertain about it. Uh, so you could see it as a kind of encouraging sign that basically more and more people are getting yeah. uh, politicised in that exact way and that you can just sort of transfer that mindset um, you know, from the street to the workplace a bit. Um, tell us a bit about the your interaction with Picture House itself um, because I, uh, the thing that sort of jogged to me to uh, try to speak to you guys was uh, my experience of going to Picture House Central recently um, and... Uh, picking up a living wage campaign flyer and then having it immediately taken from me like three steps inside the door by a security person and I was like what the hell are you doing I was fairly outraged uh and 
one there was two of them and there was a woman who looked somewhat sheepish that they were even doing it i was, I was a bit like why this is outrageous this is insane she was sort mm-hmm. of looking at me like well you know that's just what we've been told to do and it sort of gave the impression of quite a um authoritarian and sort of bullying attitude uh from pitch house and also a bit of an oddly disturbed one because why would you even do that i mean i'm mm-hmm. not going there to incite people by giving them flight you know so it seemed very strange but well but what's been your experience of them yeah, I don't. I don't know if that was kind of a singular incident, and I I don't know if that has been happening, um, sort of, largely. Um, but I think our interaction with the staff within our cinema has been, on the whole, um, quite sort of courteous. I don't think there has been like an animosity, and I think it definitely doesn't feel like it's a personal thing. Um, and I think the people who work within like the actual cinema can't change anything and don't really have a say and our protests aren't really aimed at them anyway it goes it goes above that and this is like the company is so hierarchical that um i don't know i th- i think they see i don't know they're kind of in i wouldn't say they're in the firing line but they're kind of in no man's land um and i think yeah that kind of sheepishness that you've described is probably like indicative of how they feel um because they're they're sort of in the midst of this and they they're not really doing anything either way they're just kind of middlemen. So, but did you interact directly with the uh, managers, or do you only sort of hear from them indirectly? So, there's you... there's the managers that we have, the duty managers and the general manager who we see on a day to day basis. Um, I don't feel intimidated by them in any way, and I think we do have a good relationship. But they also don't seem to really understand um, our strike and how they are they could play a, a part in it as well, and that they themselves are being exploited as well so there's them and then there's there's head office who are down the street from us but who we rarely ever see and and i i feel like the interactions that we have with them are, are often quite hostile and that's where that's where the problem is it's not and i think the the, the general managers or the duty managers they're not they they can't do anything about the demands of head office either Yeah, but then also there's this thing of um, head office kind of distancing them from themselves from any kind of decisions because then there's Cineworld on top of that. So at every level there's kind of this, um, Mm. I don't know, people like relinquishing any responsibility, which which makes it a lot easier for them to like get on with their jobs and kind of walk past us and not interact with us over it because you can always claim it's like I'm just doing my job. This goes beyond me. So. I think, yeah, in the sense of actually like any meaningful conversations with management, I think it's really lacking. And I think until there are those conversations with the people who actually make decisions, which I don't know, feels that feels really far away. The ritzy um, duty managers also strike when there's a strike and the whole cinema shuts down. But we, it's not the case for Central. Is is that a result of the uh, the the recognition of Bechtu at the Ritzy, or or just a generally more kind of supportive atmosphere there? Yeah, or just m- more more of them strike. Um, enough of them tr- strike for the whole cinema to shut down. Whereas with Central, it just business continues as usual, and we're just standing outside. Does it have like an actual impact on the like what? How much of an impact does it have on the running of those cinemas when they when you strike outside them? I mean, the, the non Ritzy ones. For um, well, at Crouch End, I think it's they've had support from local groups as well, 
And at Pitch House Central, we kind of lack a local community to sort of back us up and support us because, yeah, we're, we're in central London. Um, and in Crouch End, that has actually caused disturbance um, to the extent that they've had to call in Cineworld staff to man their cinema. Um, and I think it's actually made it quite difficult for them. At Pitch House Central, I'd say it runs exactly exactly the same. Yeah, the the one good thing about striking at Picture House Central, even though it doesn't shut down, is its location. So even though that's also a bad thing because there is no community, it's also we're very visible. And so and that is the flagship cinema. So it makes them look bad. So that's one way it affects. It doesn't really affect business, but it affects their image. So there, there was there was some news recently that uh, the, the Ritzy had fired its union reps. Yeah. So some staff have been suspended. Three, three of them were fired. They were oh, fired. Yeah. I thought they were just suspended. Now they're fired. Uh, and was it? But is that breaking news? <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. Uh, but you won't have by the time this actually is released. Um, but is uh, is that because is that directly like is it is it just presumed that that's related to their union activity or um, or is it clearly you know is that the reason or, or what's what's it about? I mean, what what has the cinema said? I'm not sure what they've said. Mm. I mean. They're, they're definitely going to fight against it and they're saying that it is related so they're going to fight against it um, but I'm not sure if uh, not, nothing's settled yet so um, but obviously I mean those reps from Ritzy were very useful to our cause and so without them it's going to be harder and I guess I mean it, I guess it might intimidate others as well um, where, where do you see it sort of going from here what are the next stages there it's just more of the same, I think. I think it's just it's going to become an inevitable thing. Every month there's going to be a strike um, at the London picture houses and it's going to keep going until there's there's a, a proper dialogue, I guess. And do you feel hopeful about getting to that stage? Or? It's hard to tell. Come um, on, guys, Corbyn, 40%. <laughs> it's all changing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure I mean, we can. Yeah, definitely, I don't know, I guess like the resurgence of activism and maybe yeah the resurgence in like morals um does make you hopeful um but at the moment it feels i don't know just just because we're so we're so far removed from the kind of cine world hierarchy um it just feels really distant and they've got a lot of money backing them up um and they've got lawyers um coming to strikes and documenting stuff and really like nitpicking um that yeah they're, they're, they've been quite aggressive I don't know how hopeful you can be but you have to have hope so yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so when's the next um, event people are going to attend I went to the one um, at the Ritzy on Friday uh, when's the next one yeah. if people are interested in Is joining it, the picket line I think it's 1st of July that's the next one at Crouch End any, any big names because you had Owen Jane's on the stump I think like Owen Jones one. said that he would come back. Let's hope he does. So good old AJ. Yeah, and then we do have some celebrity support. Not physical. No. Yeah. There was a Ken Loach quote, right, on your. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, Ken Loach wore a um, picture house strikers badge, didn't he? Yeah. To um, the, Baftas. the Baftas. Yeah. Mm. Oh, cool. And there's like there's the uh, the London Film Festival is coming up relatively soon. Um, and do you sort of attempt to speak to the BFI to get them to try to avoid pitch house cinemas or there hasn't really been much dialogue between us and um, other institutions 
um, I think sort of the closest we got was Human Rights Festival, who said, um, sort of, sorry guys, we we agree with what you're doing, but we need to show our films. So, um, yeah, I remember that actually. I remember that. Mm. Yeah, and it did seem a bit bad, you know. She <laughs> called the Human Rights Festival. Yeah, yeah a bit poor show. Yeah, well, like last week, had the, wasn't they showing that the housing swindle documentary? It was a bit like. You don't pay your work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, striking yeah. outside yeah. and just like come see our film about social injustice. Yeah, like, that's yeah. the whole problem with the <laughs> image. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and I, Daniel Blake, like was Picture House's film. If you're going to see that film, you're probably going to watch it at a Picture House. Um, I mean, yeah, it's like it all becomes ludicrous. But Ken Lynch's next movie has got to be a Strikers movie. Just yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Uh, just to really drive home the hypocrisy <laughs> as far as possible. Um, I just always think that. Um, as workers, because we live in a you know capitalist system where employer employee relations are so unbalanced, imbalanced, um, you just you do need a union if you want anything. If you want any rights, you need to be part of a union, and if you want rights, you need to fight for them because you're never just going to be handed over those rights. It's not in the interest of employers to hand over rights to their employees. So anything you want, you need to fight for. Everything we have currently, all the rights we have, have been fought for and won. Like breaks and weekends and the fact that children don't work, <laughs> that <laughs> child labour was banned. Um, just all the, all the rights we have have been fought for and won. And so if you want rights, you can't just complain. You have to act. That's yeah. my... <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think it's quite... It's kind of inspiring in a way because the... Uh, you know, partly because these things seem this kind of action feels so rare now, um, and when uh, it's only one or two industries doing it, it's very easy for it to be portrayed in the media as like the only people who are grumbling, and everyone else they're actually you know having a great time in their jobs and they never cause a fuss. Uh, but when these things pop up, it's a way of making it very clear that the sort of lines that there are between the people who have the power and the people who they employ. Um, are uh, uh, you know made obvious? They're made completely stark, mm. and you can't get away from the fact that you know you, you're visiting this sort of like friendly cinema, and everything is like you know wood panelled, and you know all the food is fair trade and whatever, and it feels like this sort of cosy uh, local in, indie cinema. I mean, a lot of people probably don't even realise that they're part of the same chain. Mm. Um, and uh, and you sort of realise that's basically like a curtain that's been put up and then behind it is just exactly the same kinds of like, you know, exploitation and power relations that exist in any other industry. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, no, thanks so much for coming to speak to us. It's been really, really good uh, to chat to you and uh, I wish you guys absolutely best of luck. <laughs> this is you. our brand Thank now. Thank you. <laughs> this podcast is going to be highly political alongside the rest of society getting politicised. <laughs> so it's 123 through 250 are going to be yeah. uh, oh, Marx's reading of the mummy yeah. <laughs> going to be insane what would Len think of Tom Cruise's performance you know yeah. hot takes like that have you seen any movies recently <laughs> this is the sort of you work like, in a cinema this right? is the so, after yeah. hours yeah. part of the interview you know I, I don't really watch films what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. too busy unionising <laughs> too busy plotting too and scheming yeah. <laughs> yeah and the last thing I watched was Dancer in the Dark um, oh wow okay <laughs> to kind of yeah revisiting that yeah and I mean again sort of exploited workers yeah, last thing I watched yeah. was I'm Alright Jack and then I watched uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I'm trying to think about the striking films but no, no, no Brassed Off 
Yeah. Oh right, do yeah. they strike in that? Well, the I mean, it's, there's, it's it's in the background, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Or uh, Billy Elliot. <laughs> Billy Elliot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, before we roast to death inside this incredibly yeah. hot yeah, studio, thank thanks so much for uh, for for joining us, and yeah, best of luck out there. Thank you. Thanks. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated, Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped, Matt Damon's in a viral vid, Michael Bay's made a mint, that's the news that's fit to print. All right, back to you. We've done our interview now. That's over. Back to regular, regular, uh, back on our regular bullshit. That's what we are now. Regular bullshit. So, Rebel Wilson. Um, you remember her from Bridesmaids. Certainly. As the uh, sort of British... Wait, is she in Bridesmaids? Yeah. Is she the British one who gets the... Uh... Wait, yeah. what the fuck am I talking yeah, about? Yeah, she's in Bridesmaids. She, she, she gets this sort of Matt horrible Lucas's tattoo sister, and stuff. Yeah. Is she doing a British accent? Because she's actually Australian. Yeah, I think so. Okay, this is all coming together. She's also in Pitch Perfect. And she was also in Pitch Perfect too. Uh, but she has suffered a bit of a blow to uh, her career um after there was a, a bunch of articles published about her which she um claimed was defamation and she ended up taking bow media the uh, media group that published the magazines that published the articles to court over them i believe bow media also publishes empire magazine and in solidarity with rebel wilson i will continue to not buy empire magazine so this is a slightly strange story. Basically, the court case revolves around a journalist called Caroline Ovington, who was writing for Australian Women's Weekly. And uh, she claimed in an article that Rebel Wilson had lied to her, but it's like a bunch of relatively trivial sounding lies. Uh, so apparently she was... Um, uh, she approached her while she was having her makeup done or something like that. And then uh, they had this sort of pre-interview chat. And then Rebel Wilson claimed to be 28 years old and said that her real name was Rebel. And then uh, Rebel Wilson's actually older than 28 and her real name is Melanie or something like that. And she published this uh, this thing. It's an expose. Incredible expose of Obviously, Rebel. person who isn't called Rebel is not actually called Rebel. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Could have, I could have told you that. It's a, I mean, like, the thing, the thing that makes this story a bit weird is that the sort of underlying claims themselves are not particularly explosive. But the issue for Rebel Wilson was apparently that uh, she then found that her kind of career was drying up a little bit in Hollywood and she um, was going to be in a Kung Fu Panda movie and wasn't in that. Oh, no. Um, and this kind of thing because she was, you know, had suddenly developed this reputation as um, as a liar or something like that. And so she took the media group to court. Anyway, the, the, the news story here is that she has won her case um, and she's very delighted. And she said that she felt the stain had been removed from her reputation. She says, the reason I'm here is not for damages, it's to clear my name. And the fact that the jury has done that unanimously and answered every single of the 40 questions in my favor, I think proves what I've been saying all along. I was hoping the jury would do the right thing and send a message to these tabloids, and they've done that. So for me, it's over in my mind. Um, awesome. I find it, uh, assuming that, you know, it's correct that she her, you know, has struggled to get work in the wake of all these things, it is kind of hilarious that as a sort of... Uh, 
overweight uh, woman your career is destroyed by the fact that you said you were 29 and you're actually 37 you know like that's that claim is published in one newspaper and like you know yeah. you can't get work anymore you're off kung fu panda and like whereas if you're sort of a, a successful man you can basically do anything and you'll just be fine yeah like, what like what, what what would it have been like for her career if she'd done a sort of johnny depp style you know like thrown a like iphone at somebody she'd or have been like, driven out right with pitchforks she'd have been driven out with pitchforks um and uh but yeah so you gotta you gotta watch out as a lady in hollywood especially if not a sort of like traditionally glamorous one that's ridiculous but i mean kung fu panda 3 is the paradigm of moral certitude (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i can see why you know everyone there squeaky clean yeah absolutely you're not going to be hired if you're going to play some i know we've seen any of these films but if you're going to play a sort of like giraffe you can do uh hang gliding or, or whatever you've got to be you know you've got to be incredibly straight laced <laughs> i know you haven't seen the film but it's obviously based around kung fu <laughs> i know but i can't what? say kung fu because obviously that's that's no there's no thoughts going why into would that. there be a giraffe hang gliding what if you're like a mouse who can do uh mixed martial arts there you go you know that would have been better yeah yeah, like uh, like uh, like Tom Hardy and Warrior, but a mouse. Yeah, it's a ladybird. It does Muay Thai. That thing from uh, Ong Bak <laughs> <laughs> with the elbows and the knees. Uh, yeah, everyone everyone in that cast has a blemishless uh, reputation. I don't think Jack Black has, has said boo to a goose, and nor has a, um, a magazine claimed that he's done that. Uh, but yeah, funny funny little tale. Well done to Robert Wilson. Hope she gets yeah. back on her feet. Hope they cast her immediately in the the next Kung Fu Panda movie. She's kind of a cool figure in Hollywood, basically for that reason. That um, it's pretty much her and uh, Melissa McCarthy, right? Are the, basically the only sort of like uh, overweight actresses of sure. like, significance. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I'd struggle to think of anybody else. Um, yeah, in terms of leading roles, prominent. Prominent, yeah, so prominent sort of leading roles. Yeah. So they're sort of repping for older like, character actors. So like body shape diversity in Hollywood. Absolutely. No shortage of fat guys around. Yeah. Um, I mean, Kevin James. Look has at a fucking career. Kevin James. That's a good point. That guy is not attractive. He is not very, funny. Not funny. He's not nearly as funny as either of not Melissa, good at acting. Melissa McCarthy or Robert Wilson. Can't act. And he gets like an entire shit sitcom to himself and he gets to. You know, he gets to play international assassin, a zookeeper. He gets to do all sorts of stuff. Uh, here he comes to, the boom. He gets to be a, like a wrestler, be a or, wrestler something, or a boxer or something. And here comes the boom, that classic film. He gets to be someone who Will Smith teaches how to fuck uh, in Hitch. And, you know, like... Do you, That's true. We've got to start giving these opportunities to Rebel Wilson. Yeah, absolutely. If Paul Feig didn't exist, I don't know what Melissa McCarthy's yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, opportunities would be. So, yeah. So, so right on, sister. Right, yeah, exactly. Big up, and I hope you did lie about your age and got away with it. Awesome, because <laughs> that's bad. Because that's badass. <laughs> but if you got away with it, then it's fine, right? Yeah, who cares? Who cares? If oh, you li- if you look twenty eight, might as well. Literally, yeah, I'm twenty eight. Why yeah, not? Yeah, who gives a shit? If I could pass for like twenty five, I would. But I'm twenty seven, and I look it. You do look it. You look every inch your age. Yes. Yeah. You're not you're not carrying twenty five anymore. Oh so. no, sorry, sir. Sorry, buddy. No rail card for you. <laughs> Too fucking old. Ooh, time for a break from all the film chat. Have a cup of tea, maybe make a quick snack and telephone friends so you know where she's at. Life, that's enough now. Back to film chat. 
Last week we reviewed The Mummy and we were in somewhat keeping with the general critical opinion by saying it was really shit. Yeah, we didn't treat it very uh, favourably. Took a massive dump on The Mummy. Which incidentally is a sexual fantasy. <laughs> Don't know. Really regretted saying Don't, that the moment I said that. Yeah, you just it came out yeah. of your mouth. And you were like joke opportunity, and, and then I was like, nope. That was a terrible mistake. idea. Terrible idea. Um, but basically, the it's been pretty poorly received, and it's going to lose projected to lose seventy five million pounds for the studio. Oh dear. And they were supposed to spawn this franchise, but oh, what's going to happen now? And a common sort of trend that's happening more and more in film journalism is that people with uh, no tact whatsoever will just ask the people involved in the film what they think about the fact that everyone hates it. This happened with Batman v Superman and that spawned the brilliant sad Affleck meme. And uh, Alex Kurtzman, the director of The Mummy, he's been uh, <laughs> being forced by some interviewer to respond to the lack of enthusiasm for his film. Uh, his response was, obviously that's disappointing to hear. he continues the only gauge that I really use to judge it is having just travelled around the world and hearing the audiences in the theatres this is a movie that I think is made for audiences and in my experience critics and audience don't always sing the same song and uh, he surmises with I'm not making a movie for for the critics will I love them to love it of course everybody would but that's not really the end game we made a film for audiences not cricket not crickets. Or we didn't critics. make it for crickets. Didn't make it for tiny little insects. It's absurd. They don't pay the cinema prices. <laughs> we didn't make it for critics. So my great hope is that we'll find it and they will appreciate it. This is the Henry Cavill line. He said exactly the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I so mean, it's good. This is like now we've got a pat line that you deliver um, as a filmmaker or an actor when your movie uh, was a, just a totally shitstorm. Well, uh, the, the interesting thing is that we, we get the critics who have their, their personal opinions. And the thing about personal opinions is that they always come from a place. And there's a preconceived idea which you have to get past the critic before you start writing your, your article or, or your review. And, and that affects everything. What is going to really matter, I believe, is what the audience says because they're the ones who are buying tickets they're the ones who want to see more of this kind of story or not and so it's it's the audience's voice is loudest and after this weekend the audience will at least partly have spoken it's not for people who love films so much they've dedicated their entire life to it it's for people who like films a little bit and will happily put up it's with the, any old shit yeah uh which they haven't even done since they didn't make money i mean at least with batman v superman that film made money, you know, not as much money as they yeah, people went hoping, to see it. People went to see that film, whereas this one is like yeah. didn't didn't do well. He refers to an audience, but there is no audience. The audience hated your <laughs> film. I mean, I don't know what it's like cinema score audience rating is, but it obviously wasn't very good. Um, I don't critics. I you know, there's a lot of terrible ones. Obviously, I think there's a certain amount of wisdom of crowds going on. Like, I don't know if there's been that many movies. If they if they got sixteen percent of Rotten Tomatoes, there actually are good. Yeah, you know, I I would be sort of curious to look at um, the lowest rated movies and try to see which one in the like bottom like thirty uh, like thirty percent and under which ones that I actually thought was good. But I feel like most of them are bad, right? Yeah, yeah. Like if you get absolutely slated, your movie probably does suck. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of movies that probably get high ratings that like don't deserve it, but in general, that you know, it does say something. Yeah, you uh, referenced the cinema score rating. I actually have the cinema score rating for The Mummy, which oh, was a B-. minus, Which is considered to be quite bad, That's isn't it? bad. Uh, audience prefer Smurfs to Lost Village. That's an A. Ghost in the Shell is a B. Baywatch is a B+. Plus. Wow. The Boss Baby, A-. minus. Wow, they like The Boss Baby. Pirates of the Caribbean, A-. minus. So, 
I mean, that's bad. I mean, they're like some of those movies are fucking shit. But Ghost even, in the Shell is not good. But it's a B. But it's a B. <laughs> so it's a good mark better than this one. Yeah. So if you didn't make it for critics, you didn't make it for audiences, who did he make the film for? Himself. Alex Kurtzman. And he loves it. He loves it. Him and Tom Cruise. If you were a director and you'd made a piece of shit movie. Yeah. What would be your line? I mean, like, the thing is, what if he like he knows it's bad? He it went wrong. He probably does know it's bad. It went wrong. Like, what's he going to say? Exactly. What is he? I think. I think that's just why he's trotted out the Henry Cavill line. You know, he's backed into a corner. What are you supposed to say? Yeah, yeah. I think I just would have just. I think my line would be more like the Uwe Boll, like fuck all the critics. They're yeah, a yeah. bunch of overpaid hacks. They don't know shit. Yeah. And history will judge me. History I think. I think here's me. what I would say. Yeah. My immediate answer would be: Go. Go Listen, it. Taxi Driver come out. It got cunted. Uh, and then I would just continue to relay. Got cunted. Got cunted, and it would just I would just go on the Nick Love um, uh, director's commentary for Outlaw, uh, and just everything he said I would repeat. All right, so listen. The bottom line is this film got a fucking hostile reception when it came out. A lot of people, a lot of the press didn't like it. Now they thought it was fucking too violent. They thought it was glorifying violence. I don't know, the bottom line is you're never going to make a film to fucking please everybody. You know what? You, you talk to people these days about... Uh, you, you talk to sort of 18-year-olds about the Godfather, and they go, fucking hell, the bollocks. Takes about three hours yeah. to get going. Yeah. When Taxi Driver... I mean, I've, I've, I've got reviews on... You can go online and get reviews of Taxi Driver when it come out. 1976 Taxi Driver come out, got cunted. People yeah. didn't get it. They were like, what's that? Oh, it's, a, it's, it's racist. It's all yeah. that. He's a, he's a sort of... Fuck, you know, well, oh, I didn't get it. Well, I think, you know what, Dan, the bottom line is it'll be... It'll be the film that we remember for the most, and yeah. I think we should be really proud of that. Well, I fucking am, baby. Uh, I love you to death. And this, love uh, you to death, son. And this, this, uh, this job gone, eh? Good night, cunt. You see Godfather? Kids, they don't like it. It takes fucking three hours it takes to get going. takes fucking three hours. Let's get going. Yeah. Boy, they don't like it. Yeah, people look, people look back on the, the shit film I just made, and they'll realise it's the most important work we've ever done. Yeah. Yeah. Good night, cunt. <laughs> <laughs> so... That's the end of this week's film chat. Thanks for joining us on our joint into interviewing, which is a fun new uh, way for us to go. Look up the Living Wage campaign. Google it. Follow the people on Twitter. Uh, turn up to their events. They're, it's a great cause and you should support them. Um, as they mentioned, the next one is going to be at Crouch End, right? Um, and I don't know exactly when it's going to be, but... Uh, you know, Google around, find out, attend, support the cause. Absolutely. And next week, we're going to talk about what? We're talking about Baby Driver. Baby Driver. Baby Driver. And uh, maybe Okja, because I believe that's coming out, the new Bong Joon-ho movie. Yeah. So a guy driving a car and a giant uh, mutant pig on the run. Yeah, real films. Real fucking films. Okay. (laughs) I don't want to see. Yeah. (laughs) All right. See you then. Bye. Bye. So I've wrote, like, if you come up here and uh, you fight me, then... uh, I will kick the shit out of you. And uh, actually, we have five contenders. So one guy was in Spain already, and then uh, today we have four more fights. So they have a good advantage here. Yeah, for four against one. All the hecklers, all the critics, all the geeks are um, wannabe filmmakers. And as soon as they do something on their own, it sucks. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.